This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, big giant good morning. Great to have all you folks here today. And, you know, we're going to have a talk. It's going to be a fun service. We're looking at the topic of, of perfection, imperfection, how those things come together. And they come together in some really fascinating ways. Now, for everyone here, I want you to be clear. I am not a big fan of, like, the perfectionist tendencies in myself. But is it a good idea to think that you should be working somewhat at getting better? Is that a good idea, yes or no? Yes, that is a good idea. So please hear that, especially because a bunch of you are about to go back to school. So please hear, like, it is good. It is good to have this idea, like, oh, yeah, there it is. This is this thing I want to get better at. This is this, 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 this skill I want to have or a relationship I want to prove. That's good. Thich Nhat Hanh once said this. It's like the North Star. Great for navigating. Don't ever expect to get there. And I think that's what we're going to talk about today. Like, how do we sort of hold that piece up there to navigate, knowing that life isn't like that? This week, I was so blessed to celebrate my 31st wedding anniversary with my dear wife, Keen. Super fun. And as every good man can attest, our marriage has worked because I married up. And, uh, you know, we decided to go to a, to a county fair and, uh, you know, we're walking around and, and it's interesting seeing like the different animals in the fair because people are really into their animals. And there's an alpaca club and they're showing their animals and they're, they're, the kids are all dressed up and they're walking around. And I see this one young lady and she is just, she's just embracing her mom, just embracing her mom with this big hug. And I'm thinking like, oh, she must be so afraid. And then her mom gently turns her, and I see the cane, and I realize she's blind. And they're going to lead this beautiful alpaca that she's raised around the ring. Perfect. Perfect. See, there's just something about those kinds of moments where our, where our spiritual eyes open, and we, we see a perfection, but it's the kind of perfection I think that God asks us to hold. Not the, perfect, not the perfection that we might create in our own heads. And perfection is an incredibly important topic to talk about because, because I, I find that it can really get in the way if we have a certain view of perfection in our head in terms of the actual mechanics of life versus the process of life. That's real important. The mechanics of life versus the process of life. If we, if we put it all in here, it's really hard. It's, it's hard to live that way. I do believe this. Few things will suffocate our souls as effectively as a misplaced, oppressive desire for perfection. Because this has been my experience. When I am struggling with perfectionist tendencies or when someone else is, what I find is that little issue of control is just around the corner. Could I get an amen on that? You know, the little issue of control. And, and perfectionist tendencies, they don't tend to just be perfectionist about me. They also tend to be perfectionist about you. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. And, and that can be really challenging sometimes. And it's, it's, I find as a pastor, it's challenging for the person who struggles with it. And it's challenging as well for the people who are in their orbit, because it's, it's just, it's hard terrain to navigate. 
And it's important to understand this because, because that perfectionist tendency can actually can sort of impinge on our humanity. Here's some, just some basic thoughts. Humanity is not a given but a possibility. A God-given capacity we hold within. I'm just going to stop there. Just leave that slide up if you would. It's not a given but a possibility. A God-given capacity we must hold within. Could I go totally rogue here for a sec? So I, I love college football, love college football. And I was watching a college football show and they had Nick Saban, who's the coach of Alabama Crimson Tide. I don't know, probably a lot of you have no idea who he is. I do because I'm a fan of that kind of thing. And, and he's addressing the players at the beginning of the year. And he's, he gets up front, his big talk to the players, big talk to the players. I'm sure every football coach does this. Big talk to the players is your job is to inflict your will on your opponent. I don't know what to say. I feel like saying that will work until you get married. I've been married 31 years. It doesn't work. You know, nothing fails like success. And those young men are going to be really successful with that formula until they're not. Until they're not. See, we have to be able to go come back to humanity. What is this humanity thing we're trying to do? That's what church is. It's like I was talking with somebody who was struggling with belief, like, well, I have a hard time believing in Christ. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter. I don't think as much as just, do you believe in the way he said to live? If you do that, belief takes care of itself. And what we find, <laughs> thank you, what we find is this, this humanity. That humanity has to be built. It has to be built. We have to build it. We get to build it. It's an honor, a privilege, a joy to build it. For humanity to be built, we must be vitally present. I love those two words, vitally present. Please say this last line with me. Vitally present to love, connection, and possibility. That's the good news. We have to be vitally present to that. We also have to be vitally present for this. For humanity to be built, we must be vitally present to, please say it with me, failure, suffering, and struggle. In other words, we must be vitally present to imperfection. And as the new church would have it, find perfection there. That moment worked at that fair because for a brief moment, God just whatever spirit, you know, uh, sprinkled magic fairy dust, whatever, where I could see the beauty in that moment. I don't always see it. Imagine you don't either, but those moments when we do, isn't it beautiful? Vitally present to the, to the imperfections in that moment and vitally present to how incredibly perfect that moment is right there. Right there. In Wrightsville. Beautiful stuff. Think about it, folks, this way, in, in, the, in terms of building humanity. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, this is the time of year where the Little League World Series gets going. Sorry for using so many sports and alpaca analogies today, but it's, it's the time of year where the Little League World Series gets going. So I want you to put in your mind your favorite younger baseball player. Is it a family friend, a, one of your own kids, a grandkid, a cousin, a nephew, a, a, just a connection of some sort? They're pitching in the big game, and they give up 10 runs in the first inning. And you see this picture. Now I'm going to come out in the audience and I want you to raise your hand and tell me, tell me 
what you hope that the coach is telling the player. And if you dare say, I'm telling him to inflict his will on the opponent, you're out. All right? So what do you, what do you, you know, as, as somebody who would love this kid, what are you hoping the coach is going to say to him right in that moment? All right? So I'm going to come out in the audience. Keep your eye on the ball and just do your best. That's it, good. Keep your eye on the ball. Just keep trying, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. That final matter, it'll be okay. What kind of ice cream do you want after the <laughs> What do you say to that? An experienced grandpa right here. Any other ones to see you get one more? I'm gonna be giggling about ice cream the rest of the service, just so you know. Forget about those other 10, the next ones you got. <laughs> That's it. Forget about those other 10. Just that letting it go. Folks, can you see the vital presence there? You know, it's, it's not saying, oh, it's okay. It's, it's like in terms of a Pollyannish way, it is saying it's okay, but it's in an empowered way. A deeply empowered way. Can you all listen really carefully to me here? $5 if you can say the same thing to yourself. $5, Barrett will give it to you after church, if you can say the same thing to yourself. Because I find that a lot of the time, I'm great at giving advice, but how many of us are not so good at, you know, how many times have you taken yourself out for ice cream, Larry? You know, like, you know, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Give those folks a round of applause. So Jesus clearly talks about this thing. Jesus clearly gives us a lot to think about with these things. I want to tell you a story, and you've got to sort of follow it with me visually here. So Jesus is sort of his magnum opus in the New Testament, preached in about 30 AD. His magnum opus was called the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, he went up to a high hill, he gives this sermon, lots of people flock because he's saying stuff that's totally weird. You know, that in, in powerlessness, you were empowered. All these, these paradoxes about our job to pray for other people, our job to love other people, all this stuff that was so counter that it was, it was incredibly enticing for people. So the crowd builds over a couple of hours. It's a couple hour long thing. Most, most historians would, would imagine. And it's an oration. It's beautiful. And then Jesus ends it. He starts coming back down, the, and the mountain, not really a mountain, think more like a hill, starts coming down the hill. And you have to think of somebody who you just heard give an amazing speech that you know has been life transformative. And you're going to follow that person. And as you're following, and you see Jesus in front of you, crowd around you, and you see in front of Jesus coming up a path, a leper, a leper, somebody with leprosy, a skin disease. And it doesn't say this part in this New Testament story, but it's clear looking at the Levitical law, which I'll read for you from a second here. This person is screaming, unclean, unclean. They had to do that by the law. This disease was considered highly contagious. So you wanted to keep this particular imperfection way away from other people, screaming, unclean, unclean, keep away, keep away. This is the way the Levitical law works. Now, when I say Levitical law, that sounds really fancy. 
Well, what Levitical law was, it goes back to the Old Testament. Laws were written a couple thousand years before Christ has this experience. Laws written about how society was, was supposed to function. They're from the book of Leviticus, hence they're called the Levitical laws. And this is what it says. Anyone with such a defiling disease, such as leprosy, must wear torn clothes, must keep their hair unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. In other words, untouchable. Notice what I just said. Untouchable. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. They must live outside the camp. Which was almost of sorts in a tribal culture, almost a death sentence. You weren't even going to be welcomed into your own families. Now, folks, Jesus has just preached it. Here he's coming down the mountain. Here comes this other person. I know for me, I would have been like, all right, so I guess we kind of got to make ways off of the side so that this person with leprosy can go on past us, but we've kept our distance. Is that what Jesus would do? <laughs> Take a guess. No, no. Jesus does this. Jesus reached out. Please say it with me. Jesus reached out and touched the man with leprosy. When he came down from the mountainside, this is about Jesus, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I'm willing, he said. And that's where we have to see it, Jesus with a smile. Be clean. Immediately he was cured. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift of thanksgiving that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Incredibly, incredibly poignant story. And this happens numerous times in the Bible. Another one with a woman, another one with, with, a, with, a, with a dead body. And Jesus is, is constantly going against these, 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 this idea of ritual purity and impurity. In other words, ritual perfection and ritual imperfection. And he's constantly taking and touching the imperfection. Some of you in here need to hear that very loudly. Jesus doesn't spend much time with perfect people. He spends a lot of time touching the imperfections of all of our lives and saying it's going to be okay. That's powerful. There's joy in that. As New Church puts it, I love this line. Our imperfection from birth becomes our perfection, while an animal's perfection from birth becomes its imperfection. Because we're imperfect, we can grow. Because we're imperfect, we have consciousness. Because we're imperfect, we can reach out beyond ourselves. Because we're imperfect, we can have compassion. Because with anyone struggling, we can raise our hand and go, yes, I have struggled Two. That means that we can grow, as Emmanuel Swedenborg would say, through all eternity. Drawing closer and closer to our true selves. 
in a paradoxical way, becoming more and more perfected through our imperfections. Through our imperfections. Think about, folks, as the band comes out for the middle song here. Think about that. Think about where you kind of want that, that, that imperfection touched and, and that idea that that imperfection, be it with art, painting, life, whether you want to play the piano, I don't care. Like we're touching that imperfection can actually lead to growth. As you listen to this second song, just think about that and see your life expanding through those very imperfections that all of us have. Amen. So without further ado, I want to introduce our guest speaker who's going to share some of her observations about the basic choice we all have between joy and perfection. Bronwyn Henry. Thank you. It was a paintbrush that helped me choose joy over perfection. And I thank you for having me here today. I know that there's a lot of wisdom in this room and a lot of you have stories you could tell. I have to recommend, though, the topic of choosing joy over perfection really puts you at ease as you're preparing. <laughs> However it goes, it'll be okay. <clears throat> so I have two main stories I want to tell you, but before I dive in, uh, many of you know my story of how I got into painting, but I just wanted to recap it briefly. And uh, what happened for me was in my childhood and my school years, I really loved creativity and painting, but uh, it was something that had fallen away for me as I got into responsibilities of work and parenthood. And it was just five years ago that really my painting practice exploded. And this was when I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and part of the treatment involved being in isolation. I took a radioactive iodine pill and I was in isolation for seven days. And I think we have a picture of the painting I did in isolation. I decided to work on a large canvas and it was a really transformative time for me. Actually, I was thinking as Chuck spoke that um, I was untouchable, you know? It, I was literally not meant to be near people and it was in that space that God really worked in my life in a new way. And I opened up to kindness and compassion and creativity in a big way. It's something I could talk a lot about telling that story, but I just wanted to recap it for you and say that since then, in those five years, I've created more than 250 large paintings, and it's a critical part of my everyday practice. And I, I paint not because I think I'm going to create something remarkable, but because something remarkable is created inside of me while I'm painting. Even when I could see you guys looking out here, I know there's a lot of incredible artists in this space. And I don't, um, it, it doesn't matter where your skill level is, but what is happening within you. So I wanna talk about the elephant in the room. Chuck wanted me to say that. Um, <laughs> so, this elephant at the bottom here, I painted in 2013. It was the first year I was starting to paint, and I remember being a little bit nervous. How would it go? I didn't know if I could tackle an elephant. And, but what really happened during that time was joy, and I just was in the bliss and joy of the creative process. And when I look at that elephant, I see joy. And now, in June of this year, I decided to tackle the same inspiration photo, the same size canvas, and I did the top painting um, in 2018. So five years later, I did that elephant. 
And what I see, you, you could talk about differences or have preferences or something, but what I see when I look at each of these can canvases is joy. And I see a willingness to be with imperfection and just to step into the process. I, I also see that with time, there is more color and there's more depth. So I'm hoping for each of us as we step into spaces of imperfection and move with it, we can expand in joy and we can expand in that color and depth in our lives. But it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had the uh, persistence to stay with it from the first one. And then it leaves me curious too, like where am I headed in five years? You know that the possibilities are endless of how you're gonna go if you're willing to be with um, the imperfection of it. So the second story I want to tell you is about Open Heart Studio. I, um, so much has been broken open for me with stepping into creativity that I've started to be ready to share it with others. And for the past year, I've been offering Open Heart Studio workshops where I help people break through creative barriers and get into the meditative, restorative practice of painting. And one thing that I teach participants is to not only be comfortable with imperfection, but to pursue it. And as someone who paints nature, I paint trees and flowers and animals, when I'm observing and studying my subject, I'm always looking for irregularities, uh, where the shadow is, the light, where the movement is. And if I ever notice on my canvas something that's very even or symmetrical, I know it's from my imagination and not from nature, because nature is filled with irregularities. If you think of an artificial plant, Besides that they get dusty, the way that you can tell an artificial plant is they're perfect. Uh, the leaves will be more perfectly shaped. And you know it's a real plant when you see the imperfections. There's some leaves that are dying, some that have a little bug has eaten them, or you know, whatever it is. So we know through observation that when something is real, it's imperfect and it's authentic. So what is the result of pursuing this imperfection? What is the result of being present with it? For me, it's a sense of freedom and a sense of joy and a room for growth. And everything I learn at the canvas is powerful when I'm able to live into it in my life. What does this look like in our lives? To leave room for imperfection, to show up at a new job, to show up in a new relationship or a new role and do our best. And with time, we will grow if we can be comfortable with that imperfection. So if you want to continue this conversation, I love that I'm just like carrying a paintbrush around because it makes me more comfortable. But um, if you want to continue this conversation with me or dip your toe into a creative practice that has room for imperfection, I hope you'll join me this afternoon. Thank you. So, folks, as, as we look at, at, at imperfection and that idea of, of, of coming into it and, and how is it that we actually, you know, embrace it, embrace it in a healthy way. I don't think embracing imperfection is, is necessarily just sort of giving up about life. Look how flawed I am as a human being. That's a giving up of a sort. But it's, but it's going, yeah, there's, there's an imperfection here, but I feel a call. And, and I hope that, it can, it, that that call can start to move me forward can start to pull my life out into unique and, and powerful ways. Be that through painting, be that through service, be that through any number of things that we can start to embrace. 
think that's where we can start to find a, a new life and a new kind of consciousness. Now, what I want to share with you is I, I think to, to close this, I think so much of it comes down to the kind of God that we worship. Do you worship a God that believes that it's all about perfection? Do we worship that kind of God? No. no. Thank you. That was the correct answer. Or do we, do we, do we find a God that's different? Because, because we will imitate whatever, whatever our belief of God is, we will imitate it in our lives. And that includes if you're a diehard atheist. Like if you believe there are no higher moral virtues in the world, that's the God you believe in. That's the way your life might look. I don't know that, but I, but I would imagine that to be true. One of my favorite people to speak to this concept of God and the question, do you have a tiny God, a God of perfection, or do you have a large God, a God that holds it all, is Father Gregory Boyle. So take a look at this little video by Father Greg and think about that image of God and how it connects with this whole concept of perfection and imperfection. Take a look. In the end, we're, we're, we're kind of doomed to imitate the kind of God we believe in. And if our God wants to separate and to divide and to be tiny-spirited and wag God's finger at us, I defy you to try to be any other way but that. Do you think God's pissed off at us holding us over like a fire, like a spider? No, never. And so, but people think that. And then people, and then people are... Y'all, you will always imitate the kind of God you believe in. If your God is exacting and judgmental, how can you be otherwise? If your God has this expansive, spacious heart, how can you be otherwise? But it's important to kind of land on the God, uh, I think, the one that's larger. What do you know? Not very much. I just like the metaphor, like we ripping off the roof, you know, to create space. Like what, what places now do we need to rip the roof off of? Oh, you know, I think we just, you need to do it every, every place you can find it. And, you know, and, and that was the, the, the image of, because we're human beings, we focus on Jesus healing the paralytic who's lowered through the roof. And we don't spend a lot of time that, that there were folks outside who ripped the roof off the place so that this guy could get in. And ripping the roof off the place is, is always trying to transform the tiny God that we cling to and trade it in for one that's more compassionate. So sometimes even AV is imperfect. Greg Boyle's point there 
and I wish you could see his face as he was saying this. I'll put it up on Facebook later this afternoon. His, his point in saying all this is that we will inevitably imitate the God that we believe in. I'm going to step over here for a second. Step over here. There is one way to see God. And that is, again, believing in a tiny God. A God so tiny that there's only one way to him and only one way out of him. That it's just this real narrow, narrow band. And if we venture outside that band, we're in trouble. And the challenge with that is that it, 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 people will quote this, this quote in the Bible that talks about the straight and narrow, that, that ours is to, is to follow the straight and narrow way. And people will quote that. And it's true, it is in the Bible. Jesus did say those words. But did he mean that in terms of a tiny God? Or maybe he meant it this way. Maybe he was asking us to stand in a different place. To imitate a different kind of God. To imitate a God who would reach out and touch to imitate a God who was saying about the straight and narrow way, that it was really about not a narrow way, but about narrowing our focus, narrowing our focus into love. Narrowing in our focus into healing. Narrowing our focus into what success actually truly is. Narrowing our focus into compassion. Narrowing our focus making the two great commandments very simple. Love the Lord your God and the person literally right in front of you. And maybe this, a narrow focus that's not about like some straight and narrow razor thin line with cliffs on either side, but a straight and narrow that's your path, that's your path, that God has ordained and God has blessed and we're all at the sides cheering you on. We're all at the sides cheering you on. See, that's where I think Greg Boyle is so accurate. He's accurate on many things. Because imagine those two kinds of gods and which one are we going to imitate? And are we willing to even ask the question, is our view of God too tiny? Because I think as we move to that expansive view of God, things shift. And we are reminded that holiness is not a state of perfection, but a, I'm going to have you say those two words there. We're reminded that holiness is not a state of perfection, but a, but a faithful striving that lasts a lifetime. A faithful striving, a North Star that we hold, totally getting, we're never going to get there, content in the process, content in the holding, embracing of imperfection, understanding that maybe, maybe that's the gift and that's how we'll grow. Amen. I'd ask you now to please join me for a final prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer, then you have the opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it. 
to have your own silent prayer that you offer or just a moment of quiet reflection. So please join me. So Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. Thank you, Lord, for Bronwyn's inspiring words and her art and her energy and her joy. Lord, help us to find ways to be comfortable with the fact that life is imperfect. And help us, Lord, to find comfort in the fact that you hold us and you love us no matter what. So important. Move us from the view of God. The view of God that is one more false step, dot, 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 God. To the this. To the no matter whatness of God. The no matter whatness of your love. The no matter whatness of your way. The no matter whatness of your creation and your providence. They can do nothing else but call us home. Thank you for your presence here today, Lord. Allow us to go out into this world, imperfect human beings, imperfect human beings filled with joy. In your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 